Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It's great to see you all today. And I'm going to have you take your Bibles and find your way to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the red Bibles in front of you. Those are the New International Versions. I preach out of the ESV. And uh, we'll be getting there in a minute. But I do want to just give you another update on the building. If you didn't know, we are, uh, as, as, as Eric mentioned, we are Lord willing, four weeks from today, we will have our first service in our new building on 9425 North 26th Street, which is the building you can see from the 51. And if you've driven by it in the last 24 hours, you will see that paint is starting to go on the building, and uh, it's pretty cool to see what is happening. And, and what I want to do is just kind of give you a quick update. And, you know, one of the things that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about is that God has placed members in the body for the benefit of the greater good. And you see how God uses different gifts in so many different ways. And you know, when you step back and you really look at our church, you can only be in awe about how God has gifted the people in our church for really such a time as this. And uh, that'd be a great verse in the Bible, wouldn't it? And, uh, and, and so, you know, when you look at it, I mean, God has gifted us with expertise in real estate, in legal matters, in accounting, in finance, in audiovisual, in technology, in construction, in HVAC, in landscaping, refrigeration, in printing, and all of that is going into this. And, you know, just, you know, with, with Trinity Homes being our, our contractor and with, you know, Slade's relationships over the years, so many of the contractors are just saying, hey, how can we help? This is your church. You know, and I, I've got to be careful about just Rob got his, uh, uh, Rob Richardson talked to the people that he works with, and we got all of our air conditioning at cost. I mean, it was just probably less than half of what it would have cost us. We're getting an ice machine, just a massive ice machine donated. All the landscaping that has been done has just been amazing. Thank you to uh, BIMS Landscaping. You know, you, we, we had a, um, it's, it's just amazing how to, to see how God has done this, and we've been able to save so much money already to date. And, you know, I've been praying that God would do only what he could do so that when he did it, he would get the glory. And, and we're seeing that. I'm telling you, we are, you know, somebody mentioned to me the other night um, that we should just write down all the ways that God is providing. And so I've started doing that. And I want to keep a, uh, a picture of that because I think it's going to be important that we can look back one day and just say, this was all God. Because we've got to be careful that we don't think it was anything other than God. Um, because that would then certainly be prideful. I want to show you a couple other uh, pictures. On, on Friday, we just had a last call to come and clean the beams, you know, as we opened up the beams. And so you can see some of our people cleaning the beams. This is a, this is a really cute girl, my daughter-in-law, Michaela. And, uh, she, and that's Robin Brown. And she was up there cleaning. And, and uh, there's Matt Brown. And then uh, I think Becky said, Bill, get up on a ladder and act like you're doing something so I can take a picture. And so I even got a dirty sponge. And then there's my wife, Pam. And so it's just pretty cool. And then if you look at this next picture, this is the, the floor now. We t- tore out the, and it's kind of hard to see there, but we tore out the, uh, the carpeting and, and polished the floors. Now they're in the worship. It's still got to be painted. But this is the fellowship hall where the kitchen is and all. And we're, uh, they're now starting to do all the flooring in the worship center. It's a completely different building when you walk in there. It, it is amazing to see. And we had so many people that have just been helping. But here's the thing that I want to say. It's a cool building. It's a great opportunity. But if it's just about the building, we've missed it. 
And you may get hot, tired of me saying that, but I'm going to say it over and over and over again. We're here for the glory of Jesus Christ and to see souls saved and to see the saved matured and mature multiplied for God's glory. And I'm going to encourage you to start making a list of people that you can invite, that you can engage with and invite. Uh, we were, we were after, after the cleaning party on, on Friday night, we went and grabbed some dinner, a group of us, and ran into a guy I hadn't seen in years, and he's been riding a bike with, with, with Jeremy, and he says, yeah, we're coming to the new church. As soon as you guys go to Sunday mornings, we're, we're, we're going to be there. And then there was another guy with him. I started talking to him. He says, yeah, we're looking for a church too. And I said, we'd love to have you. And so they're going to come with his family. And, and, and Pam and I have got a list right now of 25 people. And we're gonna, my prayer is that we continue to grow that because, again, too much is given, much is required, and God has given us this. And we want to be good stewards. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let, let me just, one more time, let me just give God thanks. Father, thank you for this building, for the work that's being done. Lord, as we've been praying for these workers that are there, I pray your protection physically, emotionally, spiritually. And Lord, just thank you for the fact that these guys have a joy knowing that uh, their work is bigger than just the tasks that they're doing. So Lord, we thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, have you ever been so excited about something that when you start to articulate it, you just can't, you just can't stop. You just, you, you're just like going like 50 you know, 50 words every two seconds, and I mean, you're, you're going, 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 and, and finally you, you go until you just can't take another breath and can't say another word. And, and, and you look at it and you think, you step back and you think, man, I hope they even comprehended what I was saying. I was so excited about this. I'm so fired up about it. I, I just wish they got a piece of understanding of what I've been trying to tell them. Well, that's where we find Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. He's just, been, he's just finished this one long run-on sentence where he is so excited about the blessings we have in Christ. I mean, he's been going on and on and on and on. He, he's talked about the fact that we're blessed, we're chosen, we're holy, we're blameless, we're loved, we're predestined, we're adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, we've been lavished with God's grace, uh, we've been given knowledge of God's will, and we have an inheritance, we've been given the truth, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. If you've been here the last two weeks, you know that Paul has just been pouring out his heart on who we are in Christ and what that means for us, and he just is so excited about it, but then he, it's like he's Getting to a point is like, man, I hope they understand what I've been trying to say. Because this stuff is so good. It's so important. If people would just understand who they are in Christ, they'd be, they'd be rocked at their core. So what does Paul do? He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to who Christ is, to what he has done, and what that means for them. He is praying for spiritual enlightenment. The big idea of the message is this, and I'll put it on the screen. When we are spiritually enlightened, some things are going to happen. We'll understand the hope of God's calling, the riches of our inheritance, and the greatness of God's power. Paul is praying 
that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would understand the hope of God's calling. His calling and all the hope that brings. He, he prays that they would understand the riches of the inheritance that has been given to them. And the greatness of the power that they have at their fingertips. So that's what he's saying in this passage, verse 15 to 23. Follow along as I read it. Paul says, for this reason, for everything that I've talked about and and because of what I'm about to say, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So Paul's praying that they would perceive, that they would understand, that they would comprehend God's blessings, their, his blessings on them. So he prays, he prays this first and foremost. He prays that we would know God deeply. He prays that you, that me, that all of us would know God deeply. Not just know about God, but that we would know him deeply. Because the more we know about God the more we understand what he has provided for us. And so Paul starts this prayer. And really what he does is he gives us some evidences of saving faith, of true salvation. And so before we look at this prayer, I just want you to see these these four aspects, these four evidences of a true believer. The first one, we see it in verse 15, is faith. It's faith. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has heard of their faith. It has gone out among other people. Now, Paul had spent years, he spent, he spent the longest time of any time in any city in Ephesus, but now he's hearing back from others about their faith. And I'm thinking, what a great thing for somebody to say about you. I've heard about your faith. I've heard about all the trials you've been going through, but I hear about your faith. I hear about your struggles, but I hear about your faith. Let me ask you, do people know of your faith at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood? Do they know, not because of a bumper sticker on your car, but because of the way you live, the way you interact? Now notice, this is just not any faith. Notice the object of the faith. Notice what he says. Your faith in the Lord Jesus See, it's, it's kind of cool to say, hey, I got faith. Faith in what? We didn't have, a faith, we didn't have faith that these pews are going to keep us up off the ground. But all that does is keep you from being on the ground. It does nothing for your eternal salvation. And, and, and the fact is, Jesus is not 
just their Savior, but he is their Lord. The evidence of a true believer is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why when the Philippian jailer in, in, in Acts chapter 16 says, what must I do to be saved? Paul's, uh, the, uh, Paul, who'd been in prison, he says this. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. It's through believing that we have saving faith. Believing in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the second aspect is not just saving faith, faith in Jesus Christ, but it's love. Notice what he says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and here it is, and your love towards all the, fa- all the saints. The second aspect of saving faith is, is love. Now, it's not just love for your spouse or for your children or for your close friends. But notice what it says here. Love for whom? All the saints. All the saints. Evidence of saving faith is love for the saints. In fact, 1 John, read 1 John this week, and it's all about love for the saints. In fact, in 1 John 4.20, it, it, uh, John says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In fact, listen to what Jesus said to the disciples after he washed the feet of his disciples. He says this in John 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? How should we love one another, Jesus? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Evidence of saving faith is not just faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's evidence in our love for one another. And third, it's evidenced by our thankfulness. It's evidenced by our thankfulness. Look at verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul Whenever he would write his letters, he would, he would generally start his letters saying, I, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I continue to pray for you. He, 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 he has such a, a thankfulness for those that are around him. And I, I can tell you, I'm, I'm sometimes not really good at that, about being thankful for other people. But I think Chris even helped us when he was up here on the, on the platform. First and foremost, we ought to be thankful to God every day. I'll never forget Ken Brown. I'd been a believer for maybe a year. And, and there's a group of us that are praying. And he, we're praying out loud. And he prays, God, if you never did anything else for me ever again, I am so thankful for your, the fact that you saved me. Even if I never saw any other evidence in my life. It's just a reminder that God has saved us. And we should be thankful. The Christians should be the most thankful people out there. And I can tell you, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for so many people that, in, you know, just through, through really difficult times have been just, what a blessing. And, and, and fourth, we see evidence of faith or evidence of salvation is prayerfulness. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Christians are prayerful people because that prayer is communicating with God. It's talking to God. We went to the building the other day. Terry Hamlin, walking around. And I said, I know exactly what he's doing. Because every time we've gotten a building, 
Terry has been walking the property, thanking God for it, or, or praying over a building, praying that we would get the building. Paul is always praying for others. In fact, I think so often our prayers can be based on what we need or what we want, but we should pray for others. How are you at that? Praying for your children. Praying for your spouse. Praying for your, praying for your parents. Praying for those that don't know Christ. Praying, praying for the leaders. We need to be praying for our leaders in this country right now, don't we? You want me to get political? Not going to do it. So the first thing Paul prays, he's given us these evidences, but now he prays. He prays this prayer, and the first thing that he prays is that we would know God deeply. Look at what he says in, in, in verse 17. Well, verse 16, I'll go back. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here it is. That God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what a name, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants us to know God deeply. Now, you can't miss that in that verse you see the, the Trinity. You see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's pretty cool to see it in a single verse. We know that the Trinity is not ever, the term Trinity is never used in the Bible. But we see the the, the, the three persons of the Trinity in this verse. But Paul is praying that we would know him in a deeper way. And notice what he prays. that He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. That, that word wisdom in the Greek, it's a, it's a word that means to to have a practical ability to understand Scripture and to apply it. He's saying that my prayer is that you would have spiritual wisdom, that you would understand Scripture and know how to apply it. Something we should be praying for, right? If Paul's praying for the believers to have that, shouldn't that be something that we pray for ourselves? that we would apply it. But he also says he wants us to have the revelation of the knowledge of Christ. And the key word here is knowledge. That word knowledge of Christ, it's in the intensive. And it, it means that we would know him personally, deeply, intimately. Now I've told some of you this before, but I'm pretty tight with Larry Fitzgerald. In fact, I would tell you a while back, we had dinner together in the same restaurant. It overlapped for about 30 minutes. He was in that booth over there, and I was over here. We were tight. In fact, I follow him on Instagram. I know most of his stats. I know Larry Fitzgerald. Do I really know Larry Fitzgerald? See, it's not just knowing about him. The word here, epigenosis, is, it's to know, the, the word knowledge, it's to know deeply, it's to know intimately. I have that type of relationship with my wife. There's, this, there's this, this prayer, Paul is praying that we would have this deep understanding of God. And I'm telling you, when, when that onion starts to get opened up, 
your heart just gets full. And I mean, there's times where you can be in a worship service and all of a sudden, God reveals himself to you in certain ways and it's just like you're just overwhelmed. Or you could be reading your Bible and just like you're seeing something that's like, this is awesome. God is awesome. And it 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 doesn't just inform your head, but it moves your heart. That's what Paul is praying here. That we would have an intimate knowledge of Jesus. So when, so when you sit down to, to read your Bible and, and you have your devotion time, God, say, God, open my heart. Give me wisdom and knowledge of you. When, when you're worshiping, you know, one of the things I would tell you, that one of the most important things you can do is don't just come to church thinking that that's going to prepare you for worship. Come, come already prepared. You know, good news is we're going to be moving to the mornings, Lord willing, and don't let that replace your quiet time. Let your quiet time be a preparation for worship so you can come and pour out. As, a, as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of the saints as the matter of some. How can I go and stir up love and good works in others? And the reality is this does not happen apart from spending, uh, does not happen apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would encourage you even to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it talks about the Spirit of God who is in us reveals these things to us. And so if we're not, if not, we're not abiding in the vine, abiding in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, we could read all the Bible we want, but it's not going to open up our hearts and minds and the eyes of our hearts. All right, so Paul prays that we would know God deeply, but secondly... He prays that we would understand our future. He prays that we would understand our future. Notice what he says, verse 17 again, that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, in the saints. Paul is praying that God would open the eyes of our hearts. That they would be enlightened. You mean our hearts have eyeballs? Okay, that's when, that's a time you don't read the Bible literally. Our hearts don't have eyeballs. In fact, the word heart here means the center of our being. It, it's, it's the center of our understanding. It's, 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 it's a person's personality and thinking and, and knowledge. It's, it's the center of all of that. And he's saying that it would be enlightened. And when he says enlightened, it's, it's the idea of freed from ignorance and misinformation. That it would be opened up to us. And it's in the, it's, it's, it's in the perfect tense, meaning it's a past action with continuing results. He's praying that God would open up the eyes of our hearts and it would, it, would, it would take place and we would have continuing results of, of, of understanding what God is trying to tell us. In fact, his spiritual enlightenment is the only way you can truly understand what God's word is saying. Here's the point. We don't need more truth or better truth, and there really is, there is no such thing. 
We simply need our hearts open to the truth that is available to us, and it's right here. All the truth we will ever need is right here. I think Eric prayed about that we would be people of the book. It's kind of a funny, old-fashioned way of saying it, but it's the truth. And he breaks down our future into two promises. He says, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The first is our future hope. And our, it's interesting because our future hope is, re, is, is, is rooted in a past event. Notice what he says. The hope to which he has called you. Called you past tense, hope today. He has called you past tense to a hope today and in the future. He is, he is, he is, he, our hope has its source in our election, and we talked about that. What is our hope? Our hope is in the return of Christ. Our hope is spending eternity with Jesus Christ in, in, in heaven. Our hope is knowing that we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that we're no, under, no longer under God's wrath because, of our, because of, our, of, our, of our faith in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Paul is praying that we would understand our future. And, and the more you understand it, the more you're blown away by God's grace. Then the second promise of our future is the riches of his inheritance. Notice what he says here. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is the second of six times in this book that Paul uses the word riches. The first time, Paul has prayed, he has, he has talked about the riches of our inheritance. But here, it's the riches of God's inheritance. Now, the fact is, in the last days, God will inherit his people, us. Now, we saw last week that we receive an inheritance. But here, it's effectively saying that we are God's inheritance also. And all that does is just cement our future. And as when we comprehend that we are truly in Christ and that He is our inheritance and we are His inheritance, when we comprehend all He has done for us, that's when we start wanting to live an obedient and fulfilling life. It's an inside-out desire only when we really know who we are can we start living like we are. The more we know who we are in Christ, the more we can live how we've been called. Let me ask you, do you grasp your future? So Paul prays that we would know God deeply. Secondly, that we would understand our future. And third, that we would embrace God's power. That we would embrace God's power. Look at verse 19. Actually, I'm going to go back to verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and 
what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is beside himself now about God's power. And you get this sense that he's trying to explain it, but he can't. He just adds synonym upon synonym. Notice what he says. He, 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 says, he uses, first of all, the word power. It's, it's, it's the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. He says, God has given you this, he's got this dynamic power. It's this, this dynamic power. And the fact is, we don't need more power. He has given us all the power we need. We just need to tap into the power that he has provided us. So the question is, how great is his power? Well, the ESV says immeasurable. The New American Standard says surpassingly great. The New King James says exceedingly great. The NIV says incomparably great. So let me ask you, how great is God's power? You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. But it's enough power to guarantee that we're going to receive the hope and the riches that were promised to us in Christ. He now uses another synonym. He uses the word work. In fact, the word work, it's, it's, it's the word energy. It's, it's, it's a word meaning it's, it's a dynamic energy. It, it's the, it, he says, what is the greatness of power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? It's this energizing force of the Spirit that empowers believers to live for him. Now, now something you just can't miss here, and I almost did because I skipped over it. Notice what he says, and what is the measurable greatness of his power? Notice this, toward us who believe. It's toward us who believe. Who believe what? Who believe that Jesus is Lord. Who believe the gospel who believe in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, who turn from their sins and turn toward Jesus as their only hope for eternal life. And then he uses the word great. That word great, it means great power, a force that overcomes resistance. And then he uses the word might. It speaks of inherent power, a force of muscular strength. Paul is saying there's power, power, and more power. And it is yours as a believer in Jesus Christ. Some of you might be thinking, power for what? It's a good question. Power to overcome temptation. Power to endure suffering. Power to to serve. Power to overcome discouragement. Power for evangelism. We just need to tap into it. Now, I know somebody's phone is ringing right now. But mine is off. Now, when, when I bought my phone, some of you probably have these smartphones. When I bought mine, it was powered up. So that when you go into the Apple Store, wherever you go, you can transfer your old information into your new, inform- into your new phone. There's power. And then all of a sudden you get excited because you're looking at it. You're, you're finding out all the different things that it does. And then you put it in your pocket, you go on and use it some more, and then at night you just lay it on your counter, and the next day you pick it up, and all of a sudden it's not working. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what happened? 
Yesterday it was so powerful, but today it's not. That's what happens when we don't plug it into the power source. And, and, and Paul is saying here, he says, listen, all the power you need for life and godliness, I'm giving you, but you have to tap into that power source. It's not like it's just like one time and you're done. It's every day, you know, if, if you don't plug in your phone every day, what's going to happen? I mean, if, if, if we ever lose power here, in fact, my, my younger brother, he's not that young, but he, my younger brother lives up in the Bay Area. And, and he and his wife had to buy a, um, what is it, Jeremy? Generator, thank you. I knew to talk to Jeremy about that. He's mechanical, I'm not. All right, get a generator because their power kept getting turned off. And he says, we need it for our phones and our refrigerator. And he said it in that order. And it's like, for us, as Christians, we have to continue to tap into the power that's available us, to us. The fact is, we're saved by God's power, but it doesn't stop there. We need to daily embrace the power source He has provided us. In fact, if you, if you doubt God's power, Paul shows us the extent of His power. First of all, he, he breaks it down in two ways. First of all, his power in heaven. And, and notice, it's, it's the power, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a mouthful. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, to sit him at the right hand, this is power in heaven. This is heavenly power. This is more power than we will ever need. And he has placed him above, notice what it says, all, all uh, rule and authority and power and dominion. Those were Jewish terms to designate angelic beings of great rank and might. And God has placed Jesus above them because he is God. So the question then, what does it mean for me? Well, 1 John 4.4 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the fact is, if you're in Christ, the power that is in you, if Christ is in you and you're in Christ, is greater than any other power in the world, demonic or otherwise why in Ephesians chapter 6 10 Paul says finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might in fact in 2nd Corinthians 12 I'll put it on the screen Paul says he was talking about the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh and he cried out to God three different times take this away from me and notice what he says but he, but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness if you are weak, blessed are you because God's power is made perfect in you. I can tell you, I've experienced that. And Pam and I have experienced that. Some of you I know have too. That where all you have is Christ to depend on, man, that is a power source like no other. And he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He has provided us with power, his power in heaven, but also his power here on earth. And we see that in, in verse 22 and 23. 
And he, God, put all things under Jesus' feet, his feet, and gave him gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, that's us, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. God placed Christ as head over the church. So as a church coming together, we have power. And I've already explained how that is manifesting itself just as we start to build this building. The body is not just a bunch of loose parts that are doing whatever they choose. The body was saved into a church with Christ as the head. The fact is, we have power. So Paul prays this prayer. And I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as we get ready to do communion. He prays this prayer. He prays that we will be enlightened. That the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened that we would understand the hope and the riches that come from God's calling. That we would embrace God's power and that would all be a result of us knowing God deeply. My prayer for us as a church that even in these next weeks and months that we wouldn't miss The fact that God has called us to a deeper relationship with him. And I believe as as we just keep going through this, this book, line by line, that this may be God's call to us saying, don't get complacent, spend time with me, go deeper with me. I want to have a deeper relationship with you. And I'm gonna show you things that you never dreamt or imagined.